Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Years ago, I would, uh, I would talk about hoping that heaven would have some type of uh, video library, right? Remember those days of, uh, of the VHS tape? And uh, going to the, uh, you go to the library, there was always a little room with a VHS uh, section, right? And you could go and you can check out videos or whatever. And, uh, and I just have a, I try to read the, the scriptures with, uh, I just use all of my imagination and I, and, I, and I read in pictures myself, right? And uh, I would always talk about, especially when I was in youth ministry, hoping that, that God would provide some type of video library for us to be able to see some of these scenes um, that, are, uh, that are throughout Scripture and, and some amazing stories, right? Uh, I would love to see the scene of the, of the children making fun of the, the bald man, right? And, uh, and, and if you know the Scriptures, you know what happens next, right? And i uh, just like to see some of those things and and obviously we've evolved from VHS to, to DVD and then hoping that it would be a DVD library, right? Or maybe Blu-ray. And, and now, hey, you know, we're, uh, we, we have a, a technology has really advanced. Who knows what it's going to be like in heaven? I don't know if there's a streaming service in heaven, right? But at least you know that the Wi-Fi is going to be strong in heaven if there's at least a streaming service for us to be able to see what is going on, um, what, what happened uh, throughout Scripture, what if we were able to, uh, um, to get a DeLorean, some of you who are old like me, you know what that means exactly, right? And Marty McFly and Doc got into the DeLorean and, and, and went all the way back to, uh, to the early church, right? And they were able to grab Peter and John and bring them back here to what we call church today. I wonder what their reaction would be to church, Right? What, what would Peter and John think about how we do church and what we call church today? And so today I'd just like to take a bird's eye view and just make some observations. And I know his pastor uh, on, on Sunday mornings has been preaching through the book of Acts and church simplified, and it has been amazing. It's been incredible. But I'd like to just look at Acts chapter 2 and make some observations on the early church. Can we pray real quick? Father in heaven, I thank you so much already for what's been accomplished. Um, you've, uh, you've ministered to us, Lord, through music, and we thank you for uh, the admonition of, of music. Certainly we've been exhorted already in song, and, and uh, Lord, I, I pray that you'd be with us now as we look into your word, that you would do a special work in our hearts. You give us something good for our lives, Lord. We love you, and we need you in Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 2, if you're there, I'll begin reading in verse number 42. The Bible says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, verse 45, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. 
and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. During Jesus' earthly ministry, he was already organizing this assembly that would become to, would, we, we would come to know as church. We don't know exactly what it looked like and how it functioned. We have little hints here and there. We know there was just enough organization for the church to be called upon um, to help resolve conflicts. We, we know that was already set up there. An interesting dynamic in Jesus' earthly ministry was, was his propensity to ruin a big day right? It seemed like the bigger the crowd, the, the stronger the message that Jesus Christ brought. As a matter of fact, hey, when the, the crowd got so big, when Jesus Christ was handing out filet of fish sandwiches, right? Remember that miracle? I mean, that was a huge crowd. I mean, there, there was probably 10, 15, 20,000 people there. The Bible tells us there were 5,000 men, and, and certainly there were women and children there. And so as Jesus Christ is handing out filet of fish sandwiches, you've got a big old crowd. But once Jesus Christ starts preaching, people start to disappear, right? And that crowd got so small that Jesus Christ looks at his disciples, and he asks them, will ye also go away? Hey, as long as we have that consumer mentality and we come to church with that attitude, hey, what can I get out of it, right? It's easy to attract a crowd, right? But once we start preaching the, the uncompromised truths of the Word of God, that's when the rubber hits the road and we see who is truly in it for Jesus Christ himself. Everybody can be in it for the, the miracles and for the giveaways, right? But will ye also go away? So miracles tend to bring excitement, and there was an energy. But interestingly enough, that the ultimate miracle, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see now with the disciples this somberness, this sadness, this inherent sadness. And we see a group of men, of believers, of of people who in the midst, in the aftermath, of the ultimate miracle, man, they're just, they're needing some affirmation. You'd think that this ultimate miracle would bring them this energy and this excitement that they needed, but there's a somberness to it. I mean, they're taking long walks with some long faces, right? You know, the road to Emmaus, right? Jesus Christ walks up next to them, blinds their eyes for a moment, and they're walking sad, and Jesus Christ asks them, why walk ye sad? What's wrong with you guys, right? These guys get so down in the dumps. They're hiding out in houses and stuff, wondering what's going out in the world. Finally, one of them just says, man, you know what? I'm just going to go fishing. You ever have one of those days, especially, men, just one of those days where you just want to do this? Right? That's just what you want to do. You want to get your mind off of stuff. And that doesn't make sense because you're just doing this. Right? Mind's not really occupied, and it goes back to the stuff that's bothering you, Right? But Peter says, hey, man, I go fishing. The other disciples decide to go with him. I mean, things are so bad, Peter doesn't even have the energy to put some clothes on, right? The Bible tells us he was fishing naked. I don't know who has the biggest issue. Was it Peter or his friends? Because they were okay sitting in the boat with Peter who didn't have enough energy to put some pants on or whatever the nakedness was there, right? I mean, I would have an issue with my friend. Hey, you want to go fishing? It's like, man, get some clothes on, man. I mean, these guys are just, they're just in a little bit of trouble. Jesus Christ makes his appearance to them, and there's just this constant affirmation and encouragement trying to pull them up. Finally, Jesus Christ ascends. So understandably, yes, the, the, the most important event of human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now remember, if Christ be not risen, everything that we do is in vain, right? 
If Christ be not risen, we're wasting our time assembling like this. But he is risen. Amen? So finally, Jesus Christ ascends with this promise that he will return and he will send the comforter. He tells his followers to go and wait. There's still an impatience. There's still a little bit of nervousness. And then finally, the Holy Spirit comes upon the scene, overwhelms the scene, and the atmosphere completely changes. Now we know, yes, from the language of the New Testament, Jesus Christ had set up its church. There was church discipline. There was a resolution of conflict that was going on. There was just enough organization. We don't know exactly how that looked, right? Um, they, they, so there certainly was Holy Spirit power, but on the day of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit overwhelms them and immerses them. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then we just see this incredible empowering of the church and we get a little bit of a view of what it looked like for the early church. Just a couple observations. Number one, they were surrounded by an evil culture. They were surrounded by an evil culture. Look at verse number 40. The Bible says in verse number 40 that there's, there's an interesting term there. To save yourselves from an untoward generation untoward generation they're told to. They said escape from this. He said there is a, um, that untoward uh, speaks of a crookedness, a perverseness. And we think things are bad today. And, and don't get me wrong, they are. But you know, crookedness and perverseness and sin, really it's nothing new. The truth is, what we're living in today is pretty much the same song, just a different verse, Right? I mean, we might be, it feels like we're at least in the bridge with the key change coming. Things seem to be ramping up, right? And it feels like it. But sin has always been an issue as far as the culture that surrounds a church. We have no excuse. We had the early church. They were in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And, and certainly, here's the thing. Romans chapter 5 verse 20 tells us, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And so as things feel like they're getting worse, and, and, and maybe they are in some senses, hey, there are things, those of you who are, are maybe around my age or older, there are things happening today that 20 years ago, if you told us this would be some of the things we would battle, we would never have believed you. That even the unsaved world would espouse to these things. Hey, our culture makes much of science, right? Follow the science, it said. But for whatever reason, when you go to chromosomes, XX and XY, that kind of science doesn't seem to make sense to this culture, right? The Bible says, save yourselves from this untoward generation. There are some truths that we just cannot compromise, and there's some common sense stuff that science and nature tells us that the, that the world today, everything is just upside down. And so today we're seeing it, hey, in the midst of an evil generation, an untoward generation, a crooked and perverse world, there still must be a church that shines in the darkness. And we do have this promise that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Years ago when I was in youth ministry, everyone saw we'd go on hikes. Marquise likes to go on hikes. Was I your inspiration, Marquise? Did I, do, did I ruin you <laughs> and that you like going on hikes now? Marquise, did you go on the hike where we went, uh, the, um, when we went into that um, old gold mine? You were on that hike. Okay. All right. So in the uh, San Gabriel Mountains, there's a, a, a hike, the, the Big Horn Mike, and uh, Big Horn, Big Horn Mine. 
all right? And the hike, it's just about a mile hike to this old um, gold mine, and, and, and it wasn't the hardest thing. And you get to this spot where, I mean, there's just this old mine. And so we went into this thing just to explore, and, and we knew it would be dark. I'd read the reviews on it, and it would be messy and, and all those things. And, and some of the kids got these little headlamps, and some people just had their little tiny flashlights, you know, with a couple AA batteries. And the deeper and deeper you go into the mine, you have the opportunity to experience true darkness. Now, most of us have not experienced true darkness, right? When it becomes nighttime, you're in your bedroom, you turn off the lights, and it's, at dar- it's dark at first, and eventually our eyes adjust to the darkness, and you can start to make out forms, right? Because there's typically always some little bit of light in any environment that you find yourself in. But you go deep down under the ground where there's no ambient light at all, and then all of a sudden you can turn off everything experience true, complete darkness, and our eyes never have an opportunity to adjust to any ambient light that's around, and it stays completely 100% dark. You don't see any forms or anything. And let me tell you, it's unnerving. It's really unnatural because we're used to turning off the lights and being at home or wherever you are and just giving yourselves a few seconds and your eyes adjust and you can at least make out some forms of something. But we got deep and deep into this mind and I knew, hey, we were, we were far away from any kind of light at all. And I said, hey, let's just, let's just see how long we could handle complete darkness. And you think it wouldn't be the biggest deal, right? So I said, we're going to turn off all of our flashlights and nobody say a word, right? Turned off all the lights, nobody said a word, and let's just see how long we could go. And I would just count in my head. Remember getting to five, six seconds, and then somebody would turn off and be like, I can't handle it, right? I mean, it's just, it's just kind of eerie. Just your eyes don't, don't adjust, and you can't see a thing, and we're trying to keep complete silence. It's okay, hold on, hold on. We, we can do this. Let's, let, let's turn off all the lights and just wait as long as it can. Let, let's just get to 15, 20 seconds. I don't remember how long we got to Marquise, but, but no matter how far we got, somebody would mess this thing up and turn on their lights, and it may or may not have been Marquise, not that he's afraid of the dark or anything, but maybe, I don't know. But at, at some certain point, this complete darkness was too bothersome, and somebody had to just turn off their light or flip on their light or whatever. There's something uneasy about the darkness. But here's the thing also. Even with these little AA battery, Dollar General, 99-cent only cheapy flashlights, when you are in incomplete darkness— and you turn that thing on after about 10 or 15 seconds, it feels like it explodes into the darkness. Little cheap flashlight. You know what? The darker the night, the brighter the light can shine. And you know, as a culture, as a country, man, we really are in trouble. It's bad. It's ugly. And I'm not just talking about you know, real standard human rights, but I'm talking about as believers, things that we should, that shouldn't be a question as to what we should be able to do. Now we have to think about what might be the consequences of them. And you would think, man, never in America, but yes, in America. And the challenges that our young people have and and, and the filth that is so accessible in the world, we are living in this crooked and perverse generation. 
But where sin abounded, grace does the more. And the darker the darkness, we may feel like all we've got is that little 99-cent flashlight, right? But if we let God take control and we just decide we're going to be a light in this darkness, be surprised as how explosive our little light can seem in a dark and dirty world. They were surrounded by an evil culture. Look at verse number 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now think of, think of that. And when they were in that room waiting for the Holy Spirit, there were 120 people there. And then all of a the sudden, they are a mega church of 3,000 souls added to this church. Look at verse number 43. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. So number two, signs and wonders helped jumpstart the movement. Signs and wonders helped jumpstart the movement. All right, so the day of Pentecost was uh, uh, traditionally and historically for the people of God in the area was a, was a feasting time, and it was a, it was, it was a, it was a festival time, and, and people would come from all over the region to, to celebrate God's goodness. But as is typical with human beings, we could mess up any good thing, right? So I, I think of the, uh, the commercialization of Christmas, right? Whereas, whereas Christmas for the believer, hey, it's, it's, a, it's about our Messiah coming to earth, coming to earth and taking on flesh. He's our, he's a, he's a wonderful counselor, right? The Prince of Peace. He, he's, he's the promise that, uh, that has been kept by, by God Almighty. But then, of course, when, when humans come onto the scene, humans can, can pervert something very, very good that was meant to be a good thing. And in much the same way with Pentecost, that was... That was that was a festival, that was a celebration of God's uh, of goodness and provision for his people. People would come into town, and, and instead of it being a celebration of God, it just was a celebration. And people forgot about God, and there may have been, uh, there was some drink, drinking and reveling and just some carnal things happening. And, and so Pentecost kind of became that type of thing. And so that's where you have some of that di dynamic as the Holy Spirit explodes upon the believers and, and some of these signs and wonders of the, the speaking of languages um, immediately like that. And, 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 and uh, the obvious uh, um, elation of experiencing the power of God like that for the first time that, that these believers were probably experiencing. And, and those on the outside that were looking with skepticism or wondering, man, these people must be drunk because, hey, that's what they're seeing around Jerusalem in the area, this type of reveling and, 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 and celebration in a, in a carnal way. And so you see this type of, of criticism. But still, Paul, Peter's response to that was to preach Jesus. People got saved by the thousands. And then as you continue on, and we've studied it with pastor already, because of the, the gifts, the signs and wonders of, of healing, and, and, and word would spread around the region, and so people would come into Jerusalem. They didn't even have to have an outreach. Word would spread that, hey, amazing things are happening by these believers, these miracles, and you bring your people, and there's, there's some healing that would be involved, and so people would come from all over the region, region to them and be healed, and find Jesus. And then as we get, as you move through 
through the book of Acts, many thousands of people. I mean, this is an incredible spark that's given to the church. And so we see this temporary manifestation of the Holy Spirit and signs and wonders. And hey, there was just no time as they're, as they're jump-starting, they're kicking off the, the local church here. There was no time for them to, uh, to go to language school and learn languages. And so we see the Holy Spirit overwhelming them and giving them this gift and, and, and then the healings and things like that. And people are coming to them. Eventually, it was time for them to move on from the signs and wonders. I think uh, on this side of it, it would be easy for us to say, well, that's not fair. In the early church, I mean, they had, all of a sudden they could speak languages just like that. Now I got to go to language school and they could do these different things just like that and heal people and people will come to them. And that's not, it would be easy on this side of it to think that, right? But you know what? They didn't have the full collection, the canon of scripture that we have. You know, there's some letters written by a man by the name of Paul that we really rely on. And Paul, at that time, he wasn't even saved yet. And now, today, we have the full collection of scriptures right here, accessible to us every single day, which is fair, right? All right, so God gave them that little bit as the canon of scriptures were getting ready to, to be collected for them to be able to do that. The Bible tells us we have a more sure word of prophecy right here in our hands. Yes, they had signs and wonders to help jumpstart the movement. We have the Word of God certainly as the ultimate sign. Amen. But you know, we also have the wonder of your testimony of a changed life. I know there's some in here that you were gripped by sin. You were gripped by some sort of addiction to some sort of chemical or maybe pornography, and Jesus Christ swept in and changed your life. That's a wonder to behold. Amen? Some of you here, before you found Jesus, your marriage was on the rocks. You had a terrible marriage. You didn't know if you would make it, and then Jesus Christ swept in, fixed your marriage, and look at you now. That's a wonder to behold. Amen? So we still have signs and wonders in a different sense as well that can help our movement in that sense. What else do we see? Look at verse number 42. The Bible says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. So we see here in verse number 42, doctrine and fellowship were interconnected. Doctrine and fellowship were interconnected. So we just break down some of these words. The word doctrine speaks of instruction or teaching. I said, I'm so thankful for our pastor. He deserves a break. It is clear when he's up on this pulpit, he has studied up. Amen. He's done his research. He's prayed up, right? God uses him. So thankful for the pulpit ministry of our church. There's great instruction and teaching. Then there's the next word, the fellowship. But here's the thing. The, the word fellowship is interesting. It's different than how we would think of it today, right? You get that word fellowship. It means participation or partnership. Wow, that's interesting. So here's how the early church looked. There was doctrine, there was instruction, there was teaching, and thank God for that. We're in a place where we're going to get good Bible teaching. But also, here's part of it. Yeah, we can, we can uh, uh, look at that first word of doctrine and put that all on the pastor or all on the staff or what have you, or the church leaders or what have you. And then we get to this word fellowship, and it's not just on the man that stands here. That word fellowship means participation and partnership. Wow. So what does that mean? Where's the responsibility there? It's not just here. It's all of us. So let me ask you, what's your part here? 
You know, church shouldn't be a place where we just attend. It should be a place where we belong. Amen? And so as these people got saved, 3,000 people saved gloriously. As you see Jesus Christ being preached and, and the people being exhorted to repent, to change their minds away from their, uh, their self-righteousness, away from their religion, away from their tradition, and to come to Jesus Christ, they get baptized and they continue steadfastly. And what was a big part of their growth? Doctrine, not just that. Pastor, you teach me, you, uh, uh, you get studied up, you instruct me, you open up the Word of God, you tell me what that's all about. But we all have this responsibility as participants and partners in this thing we call church, that we don't just attend, that we belong to. Fellowship, partnership, participants, a partnership that means a, I mean, th- this is supposed to be a family. Um, I've, I've alluded to it um, because it just wasn't appropriate for me to talk about in, in such a, a, a large, um, uh, you know, in, in public in this sense. But when we first moved, we moved here in, in January, then in February I was in a terrible car accident in which I, I hit a, a, a pedestrian and uh, he ended up dying. Uh, the police report showed I wasn't at fault. This man was, um, was impaired. And he was not in a crosswalk, and of course, ah, it, it hit me so hard. And because of, there was some legal ramifications, I wouldn't talk about it now that I have the police report, and praise God, those there's a few of you that knew you've prayed for me through that, and thank you so much, and God has been so good through it. It was a scary six months. And I've been at this pulpit, and it just wasn't appropriate for me to say anything up here. What I did is, you know, I kind of sit here, and, and Steve was just close by. <laughs> and he would ask me, hey, how you doing? And I try not to lie. Sometimes I do. Anybody else do that? How you doing? Fine. We're lying, right? <laughs> and maybe Steve could sense that I wasn't okay. And I was back there, and Bill was back there, and he just shared a little something. And I said, man, I went through a little something. And then when I was talking to Randy uh, one Sunday, and he was talking about his business, I hope it's okay to share, and where you know, he has a street-sweeping business. And man, I just, I don't know what it is about Newport Beach. People, they, they just jump out of nowhere. And it's like, Randy, you need to pray for me. This happened to me. And so because of proximity to a few people, I was able to share here and there something that wasn't appropriate up here because I felt like, man, I need some partners in this, right? You know, God didn't design us to walk through life by ourselves, isolated, you understand that? Right from the very beginning, God said, it is not good for man to what? Be alone. That's why the pandemic has been a terrible thing for believers, just humanity in general, because we are not created to be solitary creatures. We are created to fellowship, to be participants, to be in partnership with other people as we journey through this thing called life, right? You ever wonder how in the world people who, are, who aren't believers, how they do it? People who don't have a church family, how, how do they do it? I couldn't imagine going through some stuff that we've been through without other people. I couldn't imagine. Now, now I understand. Yes, I get it. it yeah, we have God. We have the Holy Spirit. We need Jesus. But on a practical level, what does that mean? Who's the body of Christ? It's us right, it's us right here. So when we talk about our need for Jesus, we're talking about the need for the body of Christ for one another. And so we participate. 
and we think of ourselves as partners. Yes, of course, I have my, my partner, my wife, Brenna, but also God gave me a church family as well to lean on, to be honest with, for, for people to join me in prayer because there are some things that are super, super scary in life, right? And you just need to know that people are praying. And in the scariest moments, some of you in here would just send me a text that right at the exact moment that I needed, I was just scared, right? Hey, you're a preacher, you're a man of God, and you get scared? Yes, I do. And I need you to encourage me. And if we're honest, we all need that. And so, yes, we need the preaching from this pulpit, and thank God that we get that instruction, but we also need the fellowship, the participation, the partnership in this thing we call life. And so doctrine, instruction, teaching, fellowship, participation, partnership, and breaking of bread, that means fried chicken. Amen. We had fried chicken two services in a row. It would be awesome if this Tuesday we could make it the trifecta of fried chicken. I don't know what's on the menu, but all I know is that would be awesome. Love me for some fried chicken. Yes, I'm a Baptist. I can't help it. All right? It just, so they had this thing where, yes, where they gathered, but also they gathered together around food. Right? Filipinos, we know what that's like. When Filipinos are getting together, somebody's got to bring a pig. Just a whole suckling pig. Just throw an apple in its mouth. Amen? We fight over the crispy skin and the fattiest pieces of it, right? I mean, that's, I mean, that's just how our, us Filipinos roll. I know other people, they don't like the fat. We'll throw the fat on our plates. We'll eat it, right? <laughs> Breaking of bread and fellowship, all those things. Hey, I just, just this last week, a pastor friend of mine, uh, Pastor DJ DeRosas, came and picked up some equipment, and, and we, we went to hang out. And, 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 and what do we do? We don't just, yeah, and, and I don't have an issue with it. Sometimes you just kind of sit on a bench or something and, and, and talk with people. But a lot of times, a lot of our fellowshipping, our, our connectedness revolves around food. And that's, that's nothing new. The early church did that. And so me and DJ and his, his son, we went over to Duck Donuts. Amen. Anyone been to Duck Donuts? They come on, now we're preaching. Everybody woke up. Duck donuts, you got to head over to duck donuts. They take those cake donuts and they fry them to order. And then you could, you could ice them just what, you, you could put whatever uh, icing on there and you could put Oreos and, and, and whatever can, you, just, yeah, I'm, yeah, just go. All right, and so it's warm, it melts in your mouth and, and all that. It's so, so good. Hey, what are we doing? We're just fellowshipping around food, amen? And that's what's happening. It's nothing new. But is it, is it kind of a lost art in our world now that we don't slow down? We feel like we've come to church, we sat, we opened our Bibles or opened our apps, uh, apps whatever, the, the pastor taught us, and we could check that off. But what about these other elements of the, low, the early church that was so powerful that saw this explosive growth, and it wasn't just because Peter was a powerful preacher, it was because we had some participation, we had some partnership, and we had some fried chicken going on, all right, or some duck donuts, all right, and prayers, the word prayers mean prayers, right, hey, well, we get to know uh, Pastor Chris Chadwick this last uh, Tuesday night was preaching about intercessory prayer, and certainly, hey, God gave us, the, Jesus Christ gave us the example of prayer, and, and we should have our time of prayer in which we, we worship God, and we pray for our own needs. There's nothing wrong with that. God says that we need to do that, but also, there is the need for us to intercede for one another, pray for other people's needs, and we can't do that if we don't participate and have this partnership, 
and know what needs are out here. That's one ministry we can't fulfill unless we are intentional about getting to know, hey, what needs do we have over here that I can go to the throne of God boldly for you, for someone else, not just me, but for you, for someone else, for prayers. Verse number 44. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. They had a familial and sacrificial sense of community. They had a familial, kind of family, felt like family, and a sacrificial sense of community. We're talking about needs, right? Meeting needs. Now, I understand, hey, if you have a need here today, right? Now, if you, you, you are in, you're having a financial trouble and you're having trouble putting uh, food on the table, no doubt you can pray to God and he can send a raven over to Whole Foods and pick up your bag of groceries, non-GMO, organic, all that good stuff, right? Locally sourced food, and take that bag of groceries, fly that right over to your house, and set that right onto your front, right by your front door. I understand it's possible, but more than likely, if you have a need, it's going to be someone in here that gives you a gift card, or goes to the groceries and fills up a few bags, drives it over to your house, knocks on the door, gives you a hug and prays for you, and leaves the food on the table, right? That's what we're talking about here. We get to know one another. Truly get to, we, we, we have this comfort level where people can say, you know, hey, I'm struggling in this area, right? I'm struggling with some anxiety, I'm struggling with depression, I'm struggling financially, and people know and we pray and we don't just pray. Jesus says something about it. Don't just tell people you're praying for them and be warmed and filled. Hey, if you have the opportunity, if you have the, uh, the means to be able to meet somebody's needs financially, don't just pray for them and say, hope you're all right. You meet that need. Maybe you are the answer to somebody's prayers. And here's what was so powerful about the, local, the, the early church. Why did they see this incredible growth, even in the midst of persecution, God is doing great things and people are getting saved and people are doing amazing things for Jesus Christ. What are some of the things maybe that we're missing today? Do we have that familial and sacrificial sense of community where, hey, this is the place I belong. This is my family. And I'm not just going to pray for you. If you have a need and I can meet it, I'm going to be the one to be the answer to somebody's prayers today. God's working in your heart, speaking to you. But it goes back to this idea of participating and partnering so that we know what's going on in each other's lives. In verse number 46, and here's where I may have come into this with a little bit of an agenda. But we're preaching the word of God. The Bible says in verse number 46, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple... And breaking bread from house to house, that eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. I say, hold on a second now. So here's a church, 120 people. That's a pretty good number, right? But you can get around and get to know 120 people, right? All of a sudden, a whole bunch of people get saved, and now we've got this incredible mega church of 3,000 plus people. How are they partnering and participating? How do you get to know all these people? Well, they had a pretty interesting concept here. They had both large gatherings and small gatherings, right? They had large gatherings and small gatherings. 
know what? The church, as a church, we need both. We need to get together for corporate worship. We have this need to get together to sing and worship and praise God. I, I mean, it's, just, it's just an amazing time every single Sunday to get together and hear the voices of God. Since I've been here, I have cried every single Sunday, and I'm so sick of it. I was like, man, when am I going to stop crying around here? Every single Sunday except for Vacation Bible School Sunday. I don't know. It was just different. The kids maybe just helped chill out my emotions. I don't know. But literally every single Sunday, I cry. Why? Just overwhelmed with praise and worship and the, the goodness of God running after me. Man, God is so good, and we need these large gatherings where we worship together and we learn together. But we also need these kind of smaller gatherings in which— there's more interaction. We get to know one another because in this context, unless you intentionally do it, it's a little bit harder to find out who has a need and what needs they are. But in a smaller group context, we get to know each other a whole lot better, a whole lot easier. I appreciate our pastor's vision and this fall. In just a few weeks, literally, we're going to be launching our community groups on Wednesday, ni on Wednesday nights in which you'll have opportunity to find a small group. We'll, we'll have 12, 13, 14 groups that you can choose from and get to know and uh, get to know people and different things that you might be interested in studying. But really the main thing is to learn together. Whatever the content is, it's about learning together as a church family. And as I said, I had this incredible need. I had this incredible hurt. I had these fears and anxieties. I couldn't share it on this scale to find just people just in close proximity to me or just having a conversation to where, hey, I'm going through this and I could use your prayers. But then when we have these community groups, it'll open these things up and I encourage you to be a part of it. Hey, what, where, where, are, where are you going to participate? Where are you going to partner up? Hey, that might be an incredible opportunity. And then lastly, verse number 40 at the end of verse number 46, they did eat their fried chicken with gladness, amen, and singleness of heart. They did eat their meat with gladness. Verse number 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church such as should be saved. There was a celebratory atmosphere. Folks, do you understand why, the, why we meet on Sundays? The early church started meeting on Sundays to commemorate the risen Savior. And we've kind of continued that on. So in essence, every Sunday was Easter Sunday. It was a celebration that we serve a risen Savior. And that's what church should be. And I love the language of this, and having favor with all the people. You know what that layman's term, you know what that means? Outsiders, they liked what they saw. Go figure. You know, I was trained in, in an atmosphere, and some of you other preacher boys know what I'm talking about, where we just kind of gloried in making people mad. The more people you offended, the better you were preaching, right? I'm happy, and you look just like that, right? It's kind of trained in that. If, if you, just to be against stuff. The more stuff you were against, the harder you could preach, I would preach, and when I was in Bible college, I would preach against bubblegum if I had opportunity, right? Just to be against something, right? And we just kind of had this idea that, man, as long as you go after things and you don't worry about what people think, right? Why was the early church so powerful? 
And one of the things, they just had this celebratory atmosphere. Why? Because a risen Savior is worth celebrating. Worth celebrating. And as people looked from the outside, the Bible says, having favor with all the people, people looked in and said, wow, this thing, it's amazing. This is really cool stuff. You guys are happy. Wait, people out there hate you, and you guys are happy. What is this? And, and there was this idea that, hey, there's something special going on in Jerusalem, and they didn't know what to call it yet, but all they knew, it was great. It was wonderful. And so every one of us have that opportunity as we come here. We're not just attending, we're belonging. And part of our participation, our partnership, is to make this a celebratory atmosphere. And I get, we all go through different seasons in life, and sometimes we come in here with heavy hearts. I get that, been there, done that. And we share our burdens with one another, right? But we do our part. We have a smile on our face. We meet somebody. We shake hands with somebody. Why? Because this should be a place that people come in and say, wow, this is special. And don't get me wrong. We don't compromise the truths of Scripture. If we are going to offend people by the absolute truth of Scripture that Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% man, so be it. If we are going to offend people with the absolute truth of Scripture that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then so be it. But we should not offend people with our demeanor and personality, right? People should come in here. And Jesus Christ said this, they'll know you by what? By what you preach against? Nope. People who come in here, they'll know us by our love one to another, one to another. Well, there's just a little bird's eye view. So, so what? One of those things I kind of got in the habit of when I was in youth ministry, when I'd get a message together, I'd ask myself the question, so what? There'd be some kids here Sunday or Thursday night, and I'm going to be preaching this message, so what? All right, let's go back to Peter and John coming in the DeLorean. They'd walk in the, you know, they would walk in the, the, the back doors, right? And you know what's going to happen first? Brother Doug's going to meet him, right? Brother Doug's going to meet him, and he's going to um, uh, set up a, a coffee appointment with Peter and John, right? Right away for the next couple days, right? Get to know them. Let's see, we have a chance to, to chat with Peter and John and I'd say, well, so what did you think? We'd be a little nervous, right? I would be. What do you think? It's okay, the doctrine, the instruction, yeah, it was kind of meh, but at least we could say that's the junior varsity squad. Come back for Pastor Ryan, he's the lead pastor, right? You had the junior varsity squad today, it was kind of okay, all right? But so we've got the fellowship. What do you do about the fellowship part? How are people participating and what kind of partnerships do we have around here? And yeah, I think it felt celebratory. I, I think it did, I hope. What are we doing as a church as participants and as partners in this thing. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.